Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast reliant on many small donors. My name's Corey Hazelhurst. I'm a partner in propaganda with Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. We're also joined from New York by Patrick Cook. Hello again, Patrick. Hello, Corey and Steve. It's another crazy week in American politics. But we're not going to talk about it. No, we're actually going to, you know, we used to do this and talk about actual issues rather than just and take a step back and not just talk about the news every week. I don't remember either. I forget. I think it was probably three years ago. Certainly feels like a, a lifetime ago in pandemic time. I think Theresa May might have been Prime Minister. That's how long we're talking about. Maybe even David Cameron was Prime Minister. I feel the last time you guys did it was when Theresa May did Dancing Queen at the Conservative uh, Conference. All right, that's another nightmare I'm going to have today. What we're going to talk about, though, is campaign fundraising. inspiration for this episode Patrick is because back in August I saw a tweet which was about the accounts of Newt Gingrich's presidential campaign which was from 2012 and his presidential campaign still owes 4.6 million dollars and I basically wanted to know how the hell that is a thing. It's the wonderful Pandora's box slash rat's nest that is a barricade campaign finance law. He never actually has to pay that back if nobody calls up his debt. His friend's money or his own money that he loaned to itself, if he just writes off his debt, no one has to pay it back. So you can end up in a negative. Or it could be what they refer to as called in-kind donations, where uh, I'll use the Democratic example. In-kind donations could be a labor union that will do a direct mail mailing for you, and and that will act as an in-kind donation that actually isn't real money, but will show up as a contribution to your campaign. So it could be something that an in-kind donation that was never paid back, or it could be a loan from a personal loan to himself. Uh, and so you technically don't have to uh, ever pay it back, you know, you would run into this issue that if you have to still file and close out that, if he hasn't closed that out, so say he runs for senator or something in 2022, he'd have to get that back to a zero to be able to move on to another one. A lot of these supplemental of like old campaigns that are still closing out and transferring money to new campaigns and stuff like that, but he doesn't actually have to pay it back as long as everybody that was loaned him the money are finally fine writing off the debt if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, it's just resting kind of Father Ted style until someone has to do anything with it. There's a few things, aren't there? So one of them is the sheer amount of money that needs to be raised. So my my fun fact, or one of my fun facts, is that it looks like in this election cycle, $11 billion will be spent on this campaign by both Republicans and Democrats, which is the equivalent of the GDP of Chad, or Equatorial Guinea. Is that just for the presidential campaign, or does that factor in all of the Senate and House races as well? I think because it it says it's the election cycle, I think it's everything. That's 
less terrifying, but still terrifying. <laughs> so in 2016, that figure was six and a half billion. So it's gone up by four and a half billion. That's depressing on many levels. What that could have money been used for actual good would be amazing. <laughs> Well, it kind of depends on who's spending it. An awful lot of that money is still being spent by Biden's campaign um, and the Democrats to try and get rid of Trump. I'd say that is a, a is a good investment in general. And it also is a historic investment in down ballot races. So state legislative races, congressional races, you know, local races and Senate and, and congressional. And so you're right. It unbelievably uh, huge number, but also this election cycle is all going to be dependent on digital digital organizing, advertising. There isn't, you know, wide scale, you know, what the Democrats are known for, and it's super cheap to do, which is knock on some doors, canvassing. You know, you're going to depend on phone canvassing. You're depending on digital organizing and you know advertising on social media. And uh, I would imagine that people that are providing these spaces for them to advertise are not going to give it away. No, for free. definitely not. And so you are left with only the much more expensive forms to actually get stuff done, which of course requires more money. Even if you're not focused on like national media buys or even regional media buys for for television advertising or anything like that, the ways that you're going to reach people are still going to end up costing you money. So you're immediately just going to need more cash flow um, available to you. Now, that's not going to explain all of the increase from from the last presidential cycle. Um, But I think it would go some way to explain some of it. Um, The rest of it is probably just going to be down to good old fashioned. The stakes are high and everybody knows it. So you've got people on one side who are going, oh God, if if the Democrats get in, our gravy train is going to be be drying up and then you've got the Demo- people on the democrats side going now we we cannot be coping with another four years of this mess like let's let's throw it all in now because this is a do or die moment yeah i think that's part of it i wonder yeah. part of it is also in 2016 i don't think the race was seen as competitive i think it was because people assumed that clinton would win i wonder if republicans didn't quite get the big donors that they often would do which is actually quite quite ironic in a way when you consider the, like the polls then compared to the polls now. Trump, according to the polls, is a lot further behind at this point than than he was versus Clinton. Like with Clinton, it was always just a polling error away from from him 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 winning. And guess what? We in effect had that polling error. You'd be talking about like the biggest polling error ever um, for for Trump to to turn around a victory currently based on what we're seeing, given Biden's, what I think, averaging like a 10-point, certainly a double-digit lead um, nationally. And he isn't gaining grounds in a number of the competitive states that he needs to win. So it is odd that somehow somehow maybe this this election is maybe seen as more competitive, when in reality it's probably less competitive. I think you're right. And I also think that there's a solid amount of, if you look at the political journey that was Donald Trump, he was written off in the beginning. He didn't get right from the beginning in the primary. He didn't get the best Republican advisors. Not a lot. Everybody else was picked up by other people won. And in no come, come to 2016, he's Republican nominee. And I think a lot of people didn't take him seriously because of his very firebrand well of campaigning, not providing policies. I don't think a lot of people, I think the Democrats in general, I think a lot of people took, didn't take him seriously that he would do well. And boom, the midterms show you that the Democrats doubled down on taking him as a threat, which also was like a huge amount of money they were spent in the midterms. And I think coming in this year, there is, we're not going to take the threat Trump, the threat, the threat of Trump 
and the Republicans lightly like we did in 2016. And I think you're seeing a lot of people opening up their wallets. But my question was making sure it's going to the right places. Jamie Harrison raised $56 million in the month of September or in the crime for finance. So, but that money should really be going to state house races in Texas and state and, and places where they're going to control gerrymandering and redistricting and other races like Al Gross's race in Alaska or Mike Espy in Mississippi. But like the one concern I have is that everybody keeps donating to money because they want to see a certain person lose. But Amy McGrath doesn't really have a chance to win Kentucky. But we got to hold on to Peter's seat in Michigan. So like that, is it getting, is that large amount of money getting to the right races is always my concern with this outpouring of donations to Democrats. I think it's a general problem, isn't it? And a lot of campaigns about what's the, which Steve has alluded to as well, which what's the nature of the race? Uh, Where do we need to hold where do we need to reach out? And this was a massive issue with the Clinton campaign of trying to expand the map into places like Texas when actually places like Pennsylvania, Michigan weren't secure. What, what you've just said there reminds me a little bit of the 2019 election campaign from Labour's point of view as well, where we were sending massive doorstepping teams out to Uxbridge to try and unseat Boris Johnson, when really we should have been sending them out into the Midlands of the North. But again, I suppose, as we'll probably get on to in British politics, it's not necessarily much of a money situation it's more of a, a person situation um there was an article in the conversation that talked about a few different trends in uh, american election spending one of them was that there's been a massive increase recently in independent groups spending part of that i think you mentioned kind of in-kind spending from trade unions but a decision that's really driven that through is a decision uh, what is a citizens united decision isn't it yes that's the uh, uh money is free speech ruling decisions united there's also mccutcheon versus fec which actually removed the limit on contributions an individual can make uh in a period to you know national party and federal candidates as unconstitutional so it just re- reduced even any limits that they could spend money on which is the other two is citizens united and mccutcheon versus fec are the two big um roberts courts judgments that basically completely changed completely changed the money game in 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 the in the u.s basically removed all the teeth of the fine gold mccain campaign finance act which wasn't great and that strong to begin with but it was better than nothing <laughs> so yeah since united basically held that's the free speech clause of the first amendment prohibited government for restricting independent expenditures for public communication by corporations including nonprofit labor unions and other associations so that was the big basically one that you know free speech applies to corporate to non-people and then mccutcheon versus fec basically struck down the limits on contributions yeah i mean i think certainly um coming from our side of the pond like um, citizens united is definitely one of those things which constantly kind of comes up whenever you're looking at like uh, american political discourse certainly on on the left as a notion of oh hey you know, ironic given where we are at the moment but we need to take back control of the supreme court so that uh, we can at some point um you know strike down citizens united and get back to a, a saner more rational definition of what free speech actually entails rather than it just being hey you can throw as much money at something as you like mccutcheon i don't think actually necessarily comes up a lot um from from what i've seen which is which is interesting yeah. given it seems like it's just as 
far-reaching. Yeah, I think I think since United, the money is free speech is always going to be the one. But yeah, but McCutcheon basically just took a, a bunch of other like more granular kind of like a little bit more in the weeds in terms of contributions that you can give because there was there are limits technically, but um, you know it basically started striking down independent expenditure. Uh, con- independent uh, contribution limits, which is basically you can look at Citizens United as the reason why as, as the total rise of super PACs in 2014, and that's why you're seeing a crazy amount of independent ones. Now, if you talk to Republicans, like, well, labor unions can spend all the money they can do, and all these environmental groups can spend all money. Yeah, but, but you know that's going to favor Republicans every time because you're allowing co- uh, corporations to just dump as much money to make sure that they're and, the, and their industry groups to make sure that there is no changes say to environmental laws that would yeah. lessen the impact yeah and again like if you do have concerns that oh you know if, if you had these in then that you know labor unions or or, or you know environmental charities or, or whatever would be able to just hurl money at it limit their expenditure you know what we're probably fine with that as well make it so that the max a an individual or a company or a cause can donate to a race is like five grand move on um and you know that's absolutely fine yeah the republicans might still end up in a bit of a problem there because like the benefit of having unions on your side is not necessarily just financial support but manpower and organizational um skills and things like that but that's your fault for not actually having the unions on side you have other things that you can tap into for that sort of stuff um as well if you wanted to but instead you just rely on pure uh, you know, pure pure financial powerhouse to to try and bulldoze everything through. Democratic campaigns, particularly, are a much more efficient use of money. They depend it. They would their money would be on would be used on either more polls or you know a, a better targeting list, more grassroots campaigning, paid canvassers, and other stuff that would help them the most efficiency to. Uh, run so generally democrats in the way that they run campaigns need less money republicans spend money in such a way that they don't really and now trump was investing more in his canvassing and grassroots and they still have this idea they they love toting this fact that they are knocking on a million doors a week which uh isn't a lot a million doors a week isn't a lot across 50 states or even 12 or 13 battleground states but Republicans spent need more money because they spend on a lot more. They they depend on very high cost of advertising, basically just television ads, you know, radio ads, ads, social media ads. They they feel that if they just cover the airwaves in in, in their messaging, it would work. Where Democrats have always said that you know if you person to person and door to door to door phone canvassing is more efficient to making that connection, and it's also a lot cheaper to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much a, a kind of a consistent thing, because certainly in like in the in the UK during general elections and to a degree local elections as well, um, you know, you very much have two kind of campaigns going on. You've got the ground war, which is your knocking on doors, um, putting leaflets through letterboxes, that kind of thing. But then you've got the air war above it, which is much more kind of like the 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 debate and discussion and the framing of what's happening on the ground. Um, and you know, traditionally, Labour. And where they where they do well, the Liberal Democrats, few and far between as those places may be these days. But, um, you know, where they do do, have done well, traditionally, it's been off the back of like ground ground war campaigning, um, you know, heavily embedding themselves in communities, actively knocking on doors, actively talking to people, putting leaflets through um, through um, uh, letterboxes, all of that sort of stuff. And the Conservatives have traditionally always struggled with that, um, largely because uh, they don't have as a lot of their activists 
are a lot older um, compared to um, Lib Dems and uh, and Labour, um, which you know I think the average age of party members probably isn't too dissimilar, but the actual activists themselves do tend to skew young uh, younger for for uh, for Labour, which means you've actually got more people actually able or willing to go out on the doorsteps come hell uh, come hell or high water and actually get that stuff done. And again, because they don't necessarily have that big business backing, part of it's done out of necessity rather than convenience. But there are obviously added benefits of doing it that way versus the uh, kind of like the air war approach, which going one on one with big business and the donations to the, to the conservatives is probably a uh, not necessarily a, a battle that uh, Labour would win very easily. I don't think it's necessarily just age that means that Labour tends to do a bit more on the ground campaigning. I think it's generally that Labour has more members, even before the surge under Jeremy Corbyn. I suppose something we're going to talk about, about campaign spending limits as well, because I think it was in 2015, um, there was a battle bus of Conservative activists who were sent round from marginal seat to marginal seat to marginal seat. And the argument, I believe, at the time from the Conservatives is that they were promoting national messages. So in the UK, we have a spending limit, but it's only a spending limit in a constituency. I believe it's something like £30,000 over a campaign limit. There is, I don't believe, a limit in national spend. So if it was Steve Haynes is campaigning for Bloxbridge South or something, um, and if it's got Steve's name on it um, or it's got the seat name on it that counts as local spend and therefore counts towards the 30 grand limit if it says vote labor uh with you know a picture of keir starmer or angela rayner in about our nhs policy that counts as national spend so it doesn't have to be included in local spending it is the way it goes around it whereas obviously in america there isn't that that campaign limit wow do you find that surprising? That is convoluted. Yeah, well, welcome to... Having grown up... Oh, so I was going to say, having, 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 now, having uh, grown up in the American political realm of how complicated some stuff, it doesn't shock me. I just... Uh, it, it, uh, it should shock me, but it doesn't. <laughs> the, the conversation article also talks about the changing nature of donors as well. Because something that seems to... Something on the Democratic side... Sorry, I think it was Harry Reid was the first candidate to do this actually try and get lots of small donors into a presidential campaign um but you've got this uh, this dynamic where lots of small donations are coming to a few different democratic party campaigns so um another stat because i don't have views i just have collections of facts i can string together is in the two i think the latest the last senate race um elizabeth warren raised 76% of her funding and Bernie Sanders raised 56% of his from small donations of $200 or less. And I suppose generally that's quite a good thing, isn't it? Because if I'm the only one funding Steve's campaign, um, obviously I can kind of get on the phone and tell him to take someone out and Steve has to do that. Um, but if you've got, you know, hundreds of people, then you're like, that's how it works. Um, but if you've got hundreds of... I'm, 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 I'm... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just uh, I'm just loving the the fact that we're just assuming that I would be a morally bankrupt politician and absolutely just take somebody out on Corey's whim. As someone who knows you more than maybe most people, um, it's entirely natural. 
But then if you spit it I'm off, picturing Corey dressed as the Godfather walking in with a cane into Steve's uh, constituency office saying, I got something I need you to do for me. But like a constituency office in, the in blocks which south. <laughs> <laughs> the Godfather song in the background. So I can kind of see that if you've got lots of small donors, you are less beholden to special interests. And I suppose the conservatives, um, usually their linemen on the trade union funding is never the well actually unions are based on associations of working people it's generally well you know labor are beholden to the trade union in special interests whereas conservatives raise the money from ordinary people but what the conversation article was arguing is actually what it leads to is a, a change in the dynamic of generous to it being more anonymous doning uh, doning <laughs> donating partly because uh packs and super packs don't have to report all the money that is donated to them and their campaigning uh, but also because a lot of these small donors you don't have to report either so I thought that was quite an interesting dynamic that um, actually plays against a lot of transparency and I think that's the thing isn't it with a lot of campaign finance stuff transparency is really what you want yes so under $200 you don't it's either 100 or $200 it might be different per state I'm confusing Oregon's rules uh, with the national rules is you don't have to if it's under hundred dollars or something you don't have to i've i've donated to a couple of campaigns this cycle and i was remember you, they basically ask you so first off you have to be american citizen to donate money you too can't donate if i ran for state senate you guys won't be able to give money i mean you could write a check and i could just donate it for you but directly you couldn't uh, one uh donate money but also they ask you for your employer they ask you if you're employed, they ask you this kind of basic information of where you're from. But under $200, they don't actually have to release that. What, what it is, you still have to file that information, but they don't have to put that into their their various campaign finance reform filings unless it's more than $200. So you tend to find small donors don't, people that give $25, $100 don't, you don't find the information out. But McCutcheon and Verse uh, Citizens United made these super PACs not having to actually release any of their donors if they don't want to. There's no requirements because Russ Fein the Feingold McCain didn't really didn't really ever address super PACs, which were made available by striking down parts of their laws. But grassroots fundraising has become a very important thing in especially the democrats and the republicans are trying to do better about it because what it also is is that if you get people especially in the state that you are running that's the thing with jamie harrison an example like he raised 56 million dollars but what percentage of that was from people in south carolina that donated him and it wasn't from democrats across the country trying to one so the idea is that if someone puts a financial contribution to your campaign it very very much ups ups the chance that they're going to remember the vote and to vote for you on election day so if you were to grasp if you were to get large amounts of small do small donations from inside of the area that you are contesting you then have built in a lot of stuff that they're going to be involved they may f they may campaign for you but you also know they're going to vote because they've put they've put some of their hard-earned money towards your campaign um so it also helps, it helps to, it, but as you said, it also, even though it's anonymous and it's not $200, those people aren't going to come knocking on your constituent store asking you to do something because you have a lot of small people that are, you know, that's what, what was Bernie saying, people, uh, people funded or people fueled 
campaign with what you think. So like you end up having people a little bit more in stake and you're not depending on one labor union, one various industry group, environmental group that's helping you. So, you know, if you have that built in where you don't have a bunch of donors beholden to you, they'll have to help you out expecting they're not going to get anything in return, hopefully. But Republicans, you know, Republicans try to do that, but they still depend on big business money to fundraise it because it's easier for them. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting dynamic. Because as you say, it means you're not beholden. But I think also, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, it's hard to have a collective effort, isn't it? Which you kind of alluded to with the the lack of targeting. On the other hand, it does mean that those outside the candidates like Bernie Sanders or AOC, for instance, um, are able to launch very efficient primary challenges and shift the mood in their party and get stuff done. Um, so it's almost a way of promoting ideas as well. So it's a really interesting dynamic going on there. You've sort of answered this a little bit already, but if you're Jamie Harrison and you're in South Carolina and you fundraised $40, 50000000 million in a month, what can you physically actually spend that money on? So you've talked a bit about doing polling, sort of about media ad buys as well. Again, it's not really something that, tends to happen in the UK, but that, what would you do with the money? If you're Jamie Harrison and you're in a ra- rather cheap media market that is South Carolina, there's a difference play if you are MJ Hager in Texas who has 17 very, very expensive media markets to cover in Texas. And you would first off blanket the airways with your messages and stuff like that, but it's a rather cheap and you will hit diminishing returns on television advertising and even even social media advertising. Uh, to a point, uh, if it's a regular non-COVID election, that could be that could be used. You could use that money, and I would use that money for just blanketing the state with paid canvassers, upping my ground game to to something that's never never been seen be- seen before. But I also, if I was that, I would also use that as an as as money to help out low down ballot candidates in the state houses and the state senates because they. You know, if they if they get their people ec- excited to vote for them, maybe they won't split. The thing you'll find a lot in down ballot races, particularly, is their splitting of tickets. They'll vote Trump for so there's a good chance that a, a decent amount of people are going to vote Trump for president, will, but will vote for Jamie Harrison for Senate. And it's the same thing could be where they know they're Republican, they know they're Republican state house, state state representative or state senator, and they will. But they'll vote for Jamie Harrison. So if you can convince, if you can convince, you know, a lot of these local local groups that have better connections into the community to push their voters to make sure that they actually vote for the local Democrat, but also vote for him on Senate, it helps out a strong point. I think the one thing that I that a lot of campaigns don't do, but Biden's doing this year, is I would use that money if I had trying to find uses for money would help build out my state party if, if it's weak. And I have to imagine South Carolina state party is not the strongest, but you're getting to the point where you're, but you're hit diminishing returns, uh, especially during COVID where you can't, where you can't just expand your ground game to more field offices across the state. And it's a lot of money late. And it's, he also got a ton of money late in the, in the game. So it would be interesting to see how that money is spent and whether it's considered efficient. But the other thing that we have that you guys don't do is the Democrats have to spend a ton of money on reminding people how they need to vote to make a plan to vote, where their polling place is, to register to vote, and all of the democracy things that shouldn't be done in a modern democracy that 
of, do you have a plan to vote? I, you know, a lot of money is spent on just telling people, like in Pennsylvania, there's a huge ad buy by the by the state Democratic Party along with the Biden campaign to remind people that they can't do what's called a naked ballot. You got to sign it. You got to put it in the privacy one so it doesn't get rejected, because they the state Supreme Court settled with Republicans. So there's a lot of money that gets spent on reminding people this is how you have to vote, which is kind of insane. What you said about helping down ballot races is basically what Beto O'Rourke did in Texas as well, didn't it? Because he was he raised something like I don't know, four trillion dollars or something in Texas, and so what he did was take it and give it to congressional races further down the line, didn't he? Um, yeah, and he he did it. That's that's what his uh, his plan is. He, that's what he's doing. This one is that the register vote. I forget what his 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 group, the People's Campaign, I think it is for Texas, is they were registering to vote, and their goal was just their goal. Their goal is not is just Democrats across up and down at Texas instead of one particular. And it, Biden is doing that with the massive amount of money he has. That some of the advertising they're doing is more generic towards Democrats instead of just for Biden, which is different than 2016. You tend to find in Republicans are the same way as the Democrats that money gets spent on that I need to protect my race, I need to protect my race, I need to protect my race only. It's been proven that, and the Democrats, and I think we've discussed this on a previous on previous episodes, is that it doesn't. He wins election, they don't cover the Senate, they don't switch state house seats to control redistricting in 2022. It's a missed opportunity, and there progress, not a lot of progress being made. So you start to see that there's a lot of more blanketing, helping a lot of a lot of more coordinating between all of the levels than there definitely was in 2016, which takes money. Speaking of coordination, Steve and I are going to be coordinating future output with our Patreons. And if you want to pay some money to have a say in how it almost works as a segue, if you want to have a say in what we talk about in the podcast and get some extra bonus episodes, where do you have to go to, Steve? Uh, you have to head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where for but a few pounds per month you can uh, throw a, uh, you can uh, gain access to uh, unique podcasts which are only made available to our backers on there um, it, uh, early access to content uh, we've held some kind of like uh, almost like roundtable discussions um, with some of our, our regulars on the show Patrick's done one. I'll do it again whenever you guys ask <laughs> if that's going to incentivize people to get uh, to five make you guys morning. a people powered uh, podcast. <laughs> we should do it five in the morning on election day. <laughs> no, actually, we should. I don't want to record. No, 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 I don't think you'll like the use of it, the, the large use of obscenities that will be in that conversation. If <laughs> Uh, we did have a. I got a text from one of our champagners who says they they appreciate the uh, not the Patreon ones because they tend to be more relaxed and more swearing. So if you want us but swearing, <laughs> all gone down. We'd use an alternative word on a Patreon podcast. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Our Twitter handles at no champagne pod. Uh, Dave Depper composed our theme tune and James Cram designed our logo. You can follow James at Twitter. At James Cram, I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. At P Cook Eleven. 